Blog Talk Radio. They've been lining up in the pre-dawn cold here to get into this memorial service at Ebenezer Baptist Church to mark the 90th anniversary of the birth of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Several of the buildings here in the King Historical Park have been shut down for the past month due to the government shutdown. They were just reopened on Saturday. This due to a grant from Delta Airlines of $83,500. That'll keep the park up and running through the Super Bowl in February. Dr. King's legacy is one of nonviolence and civil disobedience. Certainly one of the high points was the 1963 March on Washington. And as you mentioned, he was murdered in 1968 at just age 39. His niece is reflecting on Dr. King's legacy. I'm encouraging people today to remember he was a prophet. He was seeking the divine. He did not serve politics nor government. Martin Luther King Jr. served God. And so all the solutions should be right. for the human race. Of course, the day is not free from politics. One of the events getting a lot of attention is in South Carolina. Several top contenders for the Democratic presidential election will be there today making speeches at Martin Luther King events, including Bernie Sanders and Cory Booker. Of course, South Carolina has... Hi, my name is Nick from the Marlins Catch Podcast. Make sure to follow us at Marlins Catch on Twitter and Instagram. For more Marlins content, check out our website at themarlinscatch.com. The Marlins Catch Podcast is sponsored by the Baseball Podcast Network, and you can follow the Baseball Podcast Network on following platforms. Instagram, Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter, Baseball Podcast One, without the T. YouTube and SoundCloud at Baseball Podcast Network. You can listen to the Marlins Catch Podcast live on blogtalkradio.com or download the Marlins Catch Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the show. Gracias. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to our third episode of the Marlins Catch I am Nick, a.k.a. Mullins underscore news, joined here by Barry as we are get, getting ready to bring on Dan Straley here. Barry, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Barry, and welcome back to the network. The Marlins Catch is here to serve you guys, and we're hopefully going to have a great show this evening. And just kick your shoes up and lay back and enjoy the show because it's going to be special. All right, guys, without further ado, the wait is over. We are joined here by Marlins starting pitcher Dan Straley. Dan, come on in. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hey, how are you, Dan? So, I know you're a busy man. We're going to go uh, jump right into the questions here. Uh, my Sounds first good. question is, when you when you first started playing pro baseball, uh, you were assigned to a minor league team. What were what was it like down there in the minors, getting getting ready to, you know, come to the majors, you know, working on your arm, getting better? Like, how was it down there in the minors? So, yeah, there's been, like, one person ever to just, like, go straight to the major league. So that's kind of the route almost everyone takes. And, uh, you know, you're just uh, – I was a 24th-round draft pick. I was just a kid that – I was 20 years old, and I just wanted a, wanted a chance. And I knew that I wasn't going to make much money in the minor leagues, but that was never the – that was never the goal was to stay there. It was just uh, I had a had a had a dream and, and an idea of what I wanted to do with my life, and uh, I just really just you know just started went to work, and a lot of stuff kind of has to fall your way, and a lot of a lot of really good opportunity was in front of me, and I was able to uh, perform well uh, given those opportunities. But the uh, the minor leagues is a uh, it's a whole other animal, man. Like it's not you're not staying in very good hotels, mm-hmm. you're not eating very good food, you're you're not having very good hours, and you're expected to play really good baseball, and so. It's uh, it's it's designed to kind of weed out the guys that, that aren't ready to give it everything they got. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let me ask you this, Dan. In 2012, you were called up to the Oakland A's. What was your first impression of finally being in the show? Oh man, my first impression of the show was uh, it was a Friday night in Oakland, and I never had been on the field during a major league game or anything. Um, and it was kind of I walked out on the field and. There was ended up being like a little over thirty thousand people in the game that night, and uh, it was uh, it was it was quite the experience. I was 
was walking down the line and, and like this whole group of fans just started yelling my last name and chanting it. And I was just kind of like started getting the chills and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, is this real? Like I couldn't believe it. And, um, ended up being, uh, ended up being an 18 inning baseball game that we won. And it was, uh, kind of, kind of the longest night of my life. I think I ended up playing, I want to say that I got home at like two thirty in the morning or something like that right after the game ended. And it was just, it was a marathon, but, it was uh it was quite the quite the experience. I had about fifty family and friends that came down from Oregon to come check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, man. And you know, going to another question here. In twenty sixteen you posted your best career numbers with the Reds and the Marlins and what could you credit for having that year? What could you credit the most of having that, that best career year? Oh yeah, man, going in two thousand sixteen. I uh, I was out of options, and I was just kind of, uh, in terms of, like, service time, I was out of options to get options to the minor leagues, and I knew that, and I was going into spring training. And I just kind of quit putting pressure on myself as, a, as an athlete, and I was just able to finally understand what it meant to just, like, kind of live in the moment, be in the moment, where obviously, like, you, you're going out there and you're competing with everything you have, and I'm able to leave it on the line and understand that, like, my best is good enough. And I wasn't like I wasn't trying to be someone I wasn't. I was just going out there and and giving everything I had and was living with the results. And before I know it, like started getting confidence and more confidence and more confidence. And and that's kind of all you need when you're when you're a guy that's kind of up and down like I was at the start of my career. Is you just kind of need that like that that initial confidence boost of just like oh man like I'm meant to be here. And it's been you know it's, it's been been kind of on that wave for a long time. And it's just kind of like after a while you whenever something doesn't go quite your way, like, or something isn't like falling your way, you feel like you, you're still able to ride that same wave of confidence of understanding like, Hey, like, you know, this is, this is where I belong. This is, there's no doubts about who I am as a ball player. There's no doubts about who I am as a competitor. Like, this is it. Like I belong here. And that was kind of the year for me that it really transformed into kind of a question as to it. And then transformed into a statement for myself that I do belong here. Mm-hmm. Let me go mm-hmm. backwards uh, a year in uh, 2015, you split time with Houston and the Miners. Now, uh, because you were not with Houston most of the year, did you feel that you maybe took a step backward? And what did you do to get the attention of the people in charge to notice that you were ready to be in the show again? So you don't you don't think of it as a step backwards because uh, as a fan, like you guys might see that kind of stuff where you're like, oh, this is you know a step backwards to the minor leagues. No, it's just everybody has their own path and their own journey and their own career, and that was just the route mine was on. You know, I was coming off of an injury year, basically, where I wasn't able to pitch the way that I'm, I'm capable of because of I was limited by what my arm was allowing me to do. And it was kind of like, you know, you just that was just the, the path that my career took. If you The moment you, like, accept defeat and be like, oh, I got demoted, like, this kind of stuff, like, you might as well just go ahead and keep packing and just go ahead and keep going home because you're done. Like, as soon as you admit defeat to yourself, like, you're done. And so it was just kind of one of those things where I was just, it was just my route. It was my, my career, uh, my career path. And I was able to uh, just kind of keep my head in the right spot and keep moving forward. And in terms of getting the, to people to notice, uh, you know, that's not my job as a pitcher. My job is to go pitch. And that's what I, I kind of preached to everyone around me all the time. Like, it's not your job to worry about, you know, going up, getting sent down, coming up. When am I coming back? Like, that's your job is to go pitch. And if you take care of yourself and you pitch the best of your abilities, the rest will take care of itself. The guys will notice the right people will see you like no one's ever gone out there and, and, and been, you know, like, Oh, I belong in the major leagues for so many years in a row and they can never make it. Like, that's just not the way it works. Like the major leaguers play in the major leagues and understanding that, like, I knew that like I always felt I was a major leaguer and it was just a matter of, of continuing to, to show that start after start that I was able to grab the attention of whoever saw it that, that got me back up to the major leagues and, and, and there to stay. For sure, man, for sure. Um, another question. Uh, obviously, this team right now for the Marlins in 2019, very young team, uh, unestablished some of the players. you got pitchers like Sandy Alcantara, who's young coming in, Pablo Lopez, who pitched last year, but he's still young coming in. How, does this, how do you help the younger guys get ready for the season this year? How do you get the younger guys ready for spring training? How do you get them ready to go? Um, well, I mean, that's the job of our staff. But as a guy that they're going to look to and ask, like, hey, 
you know, my job is to just be there for them whenever they have questions about anything. And it might not be like the simple baseball stuff. A lot of times that's like the stuff that guys understand. It's the, you know, how do I, how, how do I do this? How do that? Where do I find a place to live in Miami? How do I, how do you make guys more comfortable around you to be in the big leagues? I think that's the big part. Cause one thing a lot of people don't realize is, you know, like I live in central Oregon. So when I go to Miami every year, I'm finding a place to live. I'm like getting used to the community again. I'm finding like, you know, I, I now know where I like to live and where I like to be, but it took me a long time when I first got there to understand like the parts of the city I enjoyed being in, um, where I enjoyed going out from my days off, where I enjoyed going out to eat or where I enjoyed spending my time with my family. And so it's kind of things like that where you're kind of helping guys get comfortable because as soon as you can get comfortable in the major leagues, then you're able to see like the true athlete that's inside there. And unfortunately, not everyone's given enough opportunity to for for us to see like in the major leagues for us to see the true competitor inside because a lot of times guys are, aren't given enough opportunity or they aren't not that they aren't given enough opportunity they were not able to excel in the opportunity that they were given in order to earn more opportunity. Yeah, actually to follow up on that, Dan, uh, living in Central Oregon, how different is it from playing up there to come down to Miami every year for? spring training and for the whole season you got a lot of traveling of course but the it's, it's like very different you know you're in the city miami and oregon and you know it's got a city as well but how does it like how does it feel going from miami to oregon what's the difference there i mean just to give you an example it snowed like six inches in my house yesterday like you've never been able to say that in south florida so that alone right there is a big difference like uh you know i look out my back door and i can see mountains you know, that's another difference i guess it's uh it's just a whole different area. I live in a town of 90,000 people right around. It's a ski town. So like, there's just, you know, it's like a, a tourist in and out of town, but it's just a completely different place. Like my whole side of town, there's not even stop signs or yeah, there's not even stop signs or stoplights, it's just roundabouts. And so it's just like, it's just the whole, everything about it is different, but like, it's kind of like comes with the territory of being a major league baseball player. You get a chance to go to all these different places and see all these different amazing cultures and meet all these amazing people. And it's really fun to, to travel around and, and see all the different places. Um, you know, I'm so used to traveling. This has been my 10th year. I'm going into my 11th year of professional baseball. It's like the travel part, it's just kind of like, you know, it, we're just, we're so used to that as a family that, that that part doesn't really phase us anymore, but it's always fun for us to get down there and see different, different cultures and different communities and, and really like try to experience like different parts of the country. Um, Cause you know, as you guys know, I've traveled around a little bit in my career but uh, getting a chance to, to see all these different places has been one of the really nice perks of it. Yeah, and does your family actually come down with you, or do they just come down to visit, or how how does that work out for you? Because, I mean, without family, oh, no. you know, it can be a lonely, lonely time. Yeah, no, we all we got three one-way tickets to, to Florida coming up here in a couple of weeks, and uh, my wife will come back and forth a little bit with our son, but other than that, like, uh, you know, we're – we set up shop and we're, we're in Miami for eight or in Florida for eight months a year, pretty much. And so we, uh, you know, we're, we're used to it and it's just kind of, kind of the life we have, man. And we pack our suitcase and my car actually gets shipped to, to Florida tomorrow. And then, uh, we'll take a couple of suitcases with us and live out of some suitcases for eight months. It's just kind of the, the baseball player way. Let me, let me ask you a question, uh, here. Um, how does it feel to be playing for a manager that has been a Hall of Fame nominated player at one time? Oh, it's cool. I mean, everyone knows Donnie Baseball, and that's something that I feel like is really that in South Florida is unique to that area is that we have kind of like one of like the celebrity managers, if you will. Like everywhere we go, people know who Donnie Baseball is. Everyone's yelling for Donnie, all that kind of stuff. But the, the cool thing as a player is what – what y'all don't get to see on the outside is we get to speak to the baseball mind inside that, that persona of, of who Don Mattingly is. You know, we get to hear, um, you know, just like the different lessons and different thoughts and different ways that, you know, he was able to go do things as a player, but also too, he's seen so much as a manager that he's just been a great resource for, 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 for new, new players and old players alike, basically, where he's just, he's a really good resource for all of us. And so, um, you know, it's a, once when I first met him, I was definitely one of those like on the fan side of things where it was like, oh my gosh, like I'm really nervous to meet Donnie Baseball and all that kind of stuff. And then you get to know him and and you realize that there's a lot of 
I mean, as a major league manager, so obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of knowledge in there about the game, but it's been uh, it's been quite the ride for me for the last couple of years getting to really like dive into what what's going on up there and, and having him uh, having him help me out with a lot of different situations. For sure, man, for sure. And you know, everyone wants to hear this question, the hot topic going into this season as well. Another thing with the young guys, um, twenty twenty eighteen uh, was um, you know you had a, a couple injuries and all that. How do you how do you think you will be coming into the season? How what are your plans to bounce back from the 2018 season, especially with your arm, uh, the injuries? How do you how do you bounce back from that and get ready for this season? Well, I mean, I'm healthy right now, so I don't really. There's nothing. There's no plan. You know what I mean? Like there's my arm injury wasn't that was that's a way in the past, I and mean, I pitched the whole season with that um, being healthy. So like it's really my oblique's fine. I'm good to go. And, uh, you know, I'll be down in Florida in a couple of weeks and uh, working out with the guys, getting ready for the season. I mean, the goal is, you know, constant maintenance and trying to stay healthy. I mean, that's really the, the name of the game. And, uh, you know, I've been injured one time in 10 years, and so if I can just keep that pace going, we'll be just fine. Well, I guess sure, you really are sure. the workhorse, aren't you? That's the goal, man. That's the goal. When I was uh, When I was a rookie, I was told by Brandon McCarthy, there's two ways to get paid in this game, be decent or be durable. And so uh, I've really just like kind of held on to that my whole career and really tried to tried to be both of those, but understanding that they both have their their importance in the game and and and, and they both are very important to to completing a team. Let me ask you this: Derek Jeter is now the owner, one of the owners of the Marlins, and he's obviously taking the Marlins in a new direction. I guess you could say it's really a youth movement. Have you had a chance to talk with him, and what excites you about the direction the Marlins are headed in? Um, no, Derek, he uh, he kind of stays upstairs, and he gives the players his space. But I think we all understand that the 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 movement of the team is, you know, just from where I'm sitting, is they've gone out and they've got as many athletes as they possibly can. And as soon as guys start proving that they belong, like they get to stay. And I have a feeling that this year, like, if you see a guy kind of struggle a little bit, he'll probably go back to the minor leagues. And if you see a guy that starts to excel a little bit, you'll start seeing him play more often. And I think they'll really start kind of honing that in. That's just a guess, but that's my guess as to what happened. And, I mean, the guys that are in the clubhouse day in, day out don't want to lose ball games. aren't here to lose. Everyone believes in themselves. Everyone wants to be the next guy that steps up and is the next face of the franchise, is the next, you know, great pitcher in the franchise. Everyone wants that. And it's just a matter of time until that group is put together where the winning combination comes to, to start to start to see the fruits of that labor and you start to see the winning combination on the field day in and day out. And until then, it's just a matter of figuring out what pieces are of the puzzle are that winning combination. Dan, uh, I got one more question for you. Uh, a lot of changes going on with the stadium and the logo changing, the jerseys. I want to know your opinion. What are your thoughts about the new jerseys, the new logo, and the stadium? What are your thoughts about all that stuff? I love it, man. You know, it's it gives us a a, a new fresh look, if you will. Um, I'm excited. I'm gonna have some red cleats, some red gloves. Like I'm gonna have some fun with it. Uh, that's one thing I've really enjoyed about being in Miami is uh, really enjoyed like a lot of like the bright colors and different like just kind of like the Latin flavor, if you will, of like the community where I'm able to like kind of like wear like those bright colored gloves and the bright colored shoes and like not catch like any grief about it from anybody because it's just kind of accepted <laughs> and it, it's it's viewed like I love that stuff and so um, I'm excited for it you know it's gonna be new I mean I we were just talking to Rojas a little bit about jerseys and cleats and gloves and all that kind of stuff the other day and like it's kind of fun because it lets us as players uh, you know kind of mix things up a little bit and. Uh, you know, I felt kind of, I felt kind of trapped in, in, in having to pick out with the orange stuff because I was never a really big fan of orange. And so, like, trying to, like, mm-hmm. make a glove or make shoes or make this, I always chose the blue color. So, I get to keep doing my blue, but I also get to put in some red. So, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, you know, the, the the jerseys are cool and all, and all that stuff's fun, but, it, you know, a jersey is just a jersey unless you're uh, – unless you're filling it with the proper athletes. And so I think that uh, over time, I think we'll start to see pretty quickly, hopefully, that, that like what those jerseys will have some, some strong meaning again, and they'll be filled with uh, the type of winning baseball that everyone expects us to be down there in South Florida. Well, I got one final question for you, and uh, concerns restaurants. Do you, uh, you guys eat out a lot? Do you, uh, you like a home-cooked meal while you're here? On the road, obviously, you're probably eating out a lot. Uh, 
what's your favorite restaurant down here in South Florida? Because it certainly is a melting pot for different cultures and different types of food. Yeah, no, it's a that's a good point. We uh we hit up a lot of different places. Um, you know, we enjoy cooking at home like everybody else, but it's also nice to get out and go experience in some local flavor. Um, usually, like we try to go out to eat like on like a day off or something. Um, we'll go down and maybe get a babysitter, and we'll go down to like Prime Italian or something like that. Or uh, um, let's try to think. We got we got like a different spot. Kind of depends what we're feeling. We got you know sushi spots and Italian spots and. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of, like, Carrot Express and, like, staying on that side of things. But um, I'd have to say as a family, for sure, my wife and I really like – we really like Prime Italian down there in South Florida. For sure, man, for sure. But, hey, Dan, I know we're all excited for this season coming up. I do appreciate you coming on with us. Uh it was a big treat for us. Very excited for spring training, ready for the season to go. We know you're going to do great things. And uh, just thank you for coming on tonight. Absolutely, guys. Let's do it again here in a little bit once we get the season starting to roll at spring training. We look Perfect, forward man. to it, Dan. Right. Have a great season. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you guys later. Have fun on the rest of the show. Thank you. All right, guys. That was Dan Straley there. Uh, great interview with him. Uh, but, yeah, we are actually going to roll into our next topic. But before we do that, we do have to mention our new sponsor, that we got for the Baseball Podcast Network, guys. It is BPN. You use the promo code BPN10 for Stub Yard, and you get 10% off on every single event. So head over to Stub Yard and use the promo code BPN10 to get 10% off on any event. But, yeah, guys, uh, we actually are going to have to go into an ad really quickly. So we will be right back. This week's episode of FanCast will likely mark the same day that former pitcher Roy Halladay is inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. A look back at Halladay's career and ranking him amongst other Philly greats. Many players have come out and spoke on the cold stretch that is this MLB offseason. Our hosts will give their insight to what they think the major issue is and breaking down all other possible news with Phillies connecting to free agents. All this and more on Episode 4 of FanCast. And we are back here, guys. Uh, we are going to dive into our next topic as we will be talking. I will be breaking down the prospects for the Marlins, in my opinion. Do Will they be called up this season or will we have to wait till next season? So we're going to jump into the prospects one through eight as of right now. So we're going to start off with number one prospect, Victor Victor Mesa. Um, a lot of controversy around him about him being the feature of our team here. Uh, definitely did a great job in Cuba coming over here to the United States and international signing. In my opinion, I do think this guy will be making the opening day roster. Definitely will perform very well in spring training. I do think this guy is the future of the fish. I do believe this guy will be starting in the outfield next to Lewis Brinson out there and depends whoever we're either left or right. We don't know. It depends who will start. Maybe Brian Anderson. We put Prado back to third. But in my opinion, Victor Victor Mesa will make the opening day roster as this guy has huge pop. He's fast. He can do it all. He is only 5'9", but still, he's got the bat. He's got 50 hit, 45 power, 60 run, 60 arm, and 60 field. Overall, the 50 on the MLB prospects top 100 list. I do think this guy is the future. But moving on to number two, as you guys want to hear about all the prospects, Monte Harrison. Uh Definitely a big outfield piece here, as I do think this guy potentially may be a September call-up. I don't necessarily see him making the opening day roster as of yet. I still think he has definitely improved from last season. Working on that bat, I do think this guy is a powerhouse in the outfield. He will fare great in the outfield with Mesa and Brinson in the future. I believe this kid has got good wheels, great power, great arm. I think this guy is a future. He's got to work on the strikeouts a little bit. But I think this guy could definitely – be a September call-up if he gets everything going on down there in AAA. But moving on to number three, Sandy Alcantara. Sandy Alcantara was called up last year, uh, pitched against the Mets. He walked a couple batters. He didn't pitch fairly bad. He got called up at the end of the season as well and pitched great. I think this guy is definitely going to make the opening day roster, and he's going to be in the rotation. I see him as I see him in the rotation. I see him as a number three starter. I think this guy's got what it takes to be a starter on there. And 
I just I believe this kid is good. He's got he's got he strikes out a lot of batters. He's got great fastball. Does a lot of heaters, but this guy is definitely going to make the open day roster. It's the question of where he's going to be, either three, four, five, somewhere around there. I believe that's where Sandy Alcantara will be, and I do think he is the future ace of this team, especially learning from Dan Straley, of course, and Jose Urania mentoring him. I do think this kid is the future. Moving on to number four is Nick Nider. Nick Nider is in the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp right now, age 22. We got him from a trade, and I do think this guy is good too. We got him from the Mariners, and I think that he could potentially make the September call-up list. I do not think he will be called up early. I think he's a September call-up for sure. I think this guy's got great command, strikes out a lot of batters. I think he could do it. And I think he could be called up as soon as September, if not early of next season. But, yes, Nick Nader will make it. Our number five prospect is Connor Scott, who we got out of the draft. Uh, First-round pick, 13th, first round, 13 overall, 2018 draft. He's a lefty, throws lefty and back lefty. He's 19 years old. Uh, played well in the rookie league. That is 223, but he had good on-base percentage. But I think Connor Scott is going to have to take a long time. I'm guessing either 2022. I think he's part of the future plan. I I think Miami sees something in him. I think Connor Scott is potentially the future of the team as well. But, you know, it's too early to tell. Just getting drafted, I do not think he will be called up. As of now, I think Connor Scott needs a lot of time. But Connor Scott is definitely a great player to have. Going to number six is Jorge Guzman. This guy we got from the John Carlos Stanton trade. People say we didn't get too much back for Stanton. I know I tend to agree, but this kid is actually a big piece. Guzman throws fire. He's, people say he's another Aroldis Chapman. He's young. He's only 22. He, had a, he went 0-9 in, in uh, advantage A, but he definitely can work on it. He, does have a, he had 101 strikeouts in 21 games. I do think this guy is actually very good. I think he needs to work on his command a little bit. His control is a little lopsided, but his fastball is a heater. If he can just get that under control, I think this kid could be very good. Number seven prospect on the list here is Edward Cabrera. Uh, don't know much about him. I think this guy is good. He's got a nice fastball just like Jorge Guzman. This guy's got a very nice fastball. I think he can do well. But, yeah, I do like Edward Cabrera. But, Barry, I want to bring you in here. I know I was take, uh, holding up the mic a little bit. Um, who, what is your opinion of who, which prospect on here do you think will make the opening day roster? Is it either Victor Victor Mesa, Monte Harrison, or Nick Nider? My personal belief, the closest one is going to be uh, Mesa. Uh, he's the most talented out of the bunch. He is uh, certainly somebody that is, I consider, probably as close to major league ready as can be. Um, Tell you the truth, though, I don't think he's going to make the opening day roster. I think the Marlins are going to hang on to him until probably the middle of May so they can get an extra year of service time off of him, which would be a smart move on their part. Now, players don't like that, but it's part of the game. They want to keep control of the player. So, again, he's the closest one, as far as I'm concerned, to being major league ready. Can he be on the opening day roster? Yes, he can. I think they're going to wait until the middle of May, though, to tell you the truth. Uh, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I agree with it, but again, you know, I do think, I do think this guy's got the pop. I think he's got the speed. I think this kid could be really good. I know the same thing with Lewis Brinson. What happened with him? I don't even want to get into that because I still believe Lewis Brinson is going to be a great player. I just think that, you know, Victor Victor Mesa. You think? We'll be called in the middle of the season. You got to go with him, but you know Harrison. I, you know he's he needs to still work on things. Yeah, but I guess I can agree with you there. Victor Victor Mesa will probably be a September call up. But I'm actually going to finish this list from eight to ten. Eight is Will Banfield, catcher for the rookie league. Uh, of course, J.T. Romuto news flying about him potentially being traded. What's going to happen? Is he going to be on the opening day roster? You know, this Will Banfield guy is definitely a great player to have. We got him from the draft this season, the 69th overall pick. And people got him people got him good here. He's only 19 years old. 
they definitely think Will Banfield is a very he got a very good arm. He's got a gun behind home plate. Just those batters out and second base and you know, I think Will Banfield got he's gotta work on hitting a little bit, but his feeling's definitely good. He's definitely got what J two Romuto's got. He's got the pop. I think Banfield is good. I think he would potentially be called up probably around two thousand twenty one, two thousand twenty two. I do not see him getting called up anywhere near. I think if Real Muto is gone, we will bring in uh, a catcher from free agency or potentially Brian Holiday will be the starter. I'm not sure, but I think we will have to bring someone in. But finishing it, number nine is Hassan Diaz, second baseman, currently in AAA, may make the opening day roster. I think he does have a spring training invite. I think Hassan Diaz has definitely got good power for second baseman. I know it's rare to see. Um, definitely fit. He's got power. It's good. And he's actually ranked number four of top ten second base prospects in the MLB. So Hassan Diaz potentially could, be, in my opinion, will be on the opening will be on the opening day roster this year. I know everyone's gonna be like, "What are you talking about?" I'll be like, "I'm telling you, Stalin Castro, in my opinion, may get traded. It depends when. Hassan Diaz is the future second baseman of this team, and I'm telling you, he worked on so much things last year. I think he's ready to go." He's a good player, and I think he's ready to go. And number 10 is my favorite. One of my favorite prospects out of all of them is Braxton Garrett. 2016 draft, seventh overall. Miami took him. I loved him. I thought he was great. Then he got the injury on his shoulder. Tommy John, of course, and hasn't played a game since. Braxton Garrett will be called up during the 2020 season, in my opinion. I think Garrett can do great things down in the minors when he gets healthy again, and that should be very close. Braxton Garrett will be ready to go, and I predict him being – the number two or three starter of the future team. In my opinion, I think Braxton Garrett is a great player. But, yeah, that concludes my list of the top ten prospects. Uh, Barry, I know I took the mic here a little bit. Uh, anything you want to add about any uh, specific prospects you like and you believe can make an impact for the future of this team? I tend to agree with just about everything you said, Nick, and uh, I'm sure the Marlins will bring up the players as soon as they feel that they're major league ready. And it's just as simple as that. Mm-hmm, for sure, for sure. And, Barry, I know there was uh, the top uh, 15 list of all-time players. Barry made a list of top 15 Marlins of all time. I know you guys you guys can actually head over to the marlinscatch.com and enter in your own form and get a chance to be featured on the podcast. But before we get into that list, Barry, we will actually be heading into another break. Um, So, yeah, we will be back. Hi. Tune in to Pinstripe Talk this Wednesday at 5. We discuss everything New York Yankees rumors, speculation, and anything you want to hear about the New York Yankees. We discuss the Adamata Vino signing and the best bullpen in baseball. We talk about Sonny Gray and his move to Cincinnati. We talk about the Hall of Fame and Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, and their candidacy. And we talk about Nolan Arenado, his, his impending free agency, and how the Yankees will be interested in the superstar. All this and much more on this week's episode of Pinstripe Talk, this Wednesday at 5. If you're a Yankee fan or even a baseball fan, tune in to Pinstripe Talk. See you there. Welcome back, Welcome guys. Back. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Barry, I know you have your list ready of the top 15 Mullins of all time. I'm going to let you get into it. I'm going to let you get the mic here. Remember, guys, themullinscatch.com. Fill in your form there and tell me who you guys think is the best, and you guys will definitely be featured on the podcast. So, Barry, I'll let you take it away. Well, actually, Nick, it's the top 20 that I put together because the truth is there are a ton of Marlins that are very, very deserving, but we couldn't get them all on the list. So we're going to work our way down, and uh, we're probably going to go to the top 10 uh, next week, but let's start at number 20. And the person that I think or the player that I think deserves the number 20 spot is Edgar Renteria. Edgar Renteria orchestrated one of the signature moments in franchise history. He singled off Charles Nagy in the 11th inning of Game 7 to give the Marlins a 1997 World Series clinching win over the Indians. He was a gifted defensive shortstop, 
and he he had a career batting average two eighty eight. He certainly is one of the Marlins greats. At number nineteen, Dan Ugla. He is one of the great Rule Five draft picks in Marlins history and in baseball history. Ugla was a two-time All-Star with the Marlins. He is the franchisee's second all-time home run leader, only trailing Giancarlo Stanton. He is tied for sixth with Stanton for career doubles, 170 as a Marlin. He is well-deserving of being on the top 20 list. At number 18, a personal favorite of mine. I used to love this guy. He was a fan favorite. He was beloved by the Marlins fans for his worth ethic and ability to put the bat on the ball. His name is Juan Pierre. He finished the Marlins' career with 682 hits and ranks third all-time with 190 steals, including a single-season record of 65 for the World Series 2003 champions. He played all 162 games every season between 2003 and 2005. Coming in at number 17, a tragedy for the Marlins that that it occurred that took the career away from this player. His name was Jose Fernandez. He started his sophomore campaign as the opening day starter for the Marlins, making him the youngest opening day starting pitcher since Dwight Gooden in 1986. Fernandez recorded nine strikeouts while walking none, and he joined the likes of Bob Gibson, and these guys are all Hall of Famers, Steve Carlton, Ferguson Jenkins, the great Walter Johnson, and who cannot, not, who cannot forget the mention, Cy Young, as the only pitchers to do so on opening day. He is certainly deserving. He would have ranked higher in the list, if he had more time with the Marlins, but again, a tragedy occurred. He passed on. He's playing ball with the some of the greats now up in heaven. And again, we sure miss him. At number sixteen. Well, Barry, Barry, to stop you there. To stop you there, Barry. I do believe Jose Fernandez should have been higher than that. I think he should have been in the top ten list, maybe at number seven or eight. Um, but yeah, this is your list, Barry. I'll let you keep going. I just wanted to. Bring in here and put my input in. So, yeah, go ahead and continue. That's okay, Nick. You know, we, we can agree to disagree, and that's what it's all about. That's the beauty of blog talk radio. Uh, we can say our opinions, and some of the fans will agree with us. Some of the fans won't. Anyway, <laughs> number 16, sure. a Marlin great, Rob Nen. On July 17, 1983, uh, sorry, 1993, the Rangers traded Nen and pitcher Kurt Miller to the Florida Marlins for Chris Carpenter. The following season, the Marlins moved him into the bullpen in an effort to reduce the frequency of his arm injuries. Nen flourished in his new role and became the Marlins' closer that year. He finished a strike-shortened season 1994 with 15 saves and a 2.95 ERA. Nen would continue to be dominating as a closer for the Marlins, racking up a total of 108 saves and establishing himself as one of the elite closers of the 90s. During the 1997 postseason, Ned pitched in eight games, including two saves in the World Series, as well as 1.2 innings of scoreless relief in the ninth and tenth innings of Game 7, while the Marlins came back in the last inning and subsequently won the World Series in the bottom of the 11th. Throughout the 1997 playoffs, Florida did not lose a single game in which Nen made an appearance. He was known for an unusual delivery in which he tapped his toe on the ground before releasing the ball. His signature pitch, a slider, was nicknamed the Terminator. Uh, Reminds me of... uh, of Major League, uh, you, I'm sure, Nick, you remember the Major League Two that uh, the relief pitcher, and I can't think of his name right now, he named this pitch the Terminator. It looked like Rick a Vaughan. fastball. Rick Vaughn. Rick Vaughn. Rick Vaughn, that's it. It looked yeah, like a Rick Vaughan fastball until it broke straight down at the plate at a velocity of up to 92 miles an hour. In addition to the slider, Ned had a fastball that reached the upper 90s. 
a splitter rounded out Nens pitching arsenal. Going into number 16, A.J. Burnett. He was an integral part of the Marlins. He really, really, he really, really did a great job uh, for the Marlins in his first uh, season with the Marlins. He pitched parts of 99 and 2000, went 11 and 12 with an ERA of 4.05. And I can't say enough about Nen, but I understand at this point it's time to go to a break, so I'm going to wrap it up at this time, and we'll carry on at a later time with the Marlins Top 20. This week's episode of FanCast will likely mark the same day that former pitcher Roy Halladay is inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. A look back at Halliday's career and ranking him amongst other Philly greats. Many players have come out and spoke on the cold stretch that is this MLB offseason. Our hosts will give their insight to what they think the major issue is and breaking down all other possible news with Phillies connecting to free agents. All this and more on Episode 4 of FanCast. We are back here, guys, from the break of... No, Barry, I think everybody wants to go down to the nitty-gritty. I think we want to hear the top five list that you have prepared for us. And after every single one, of course, I will give my opinion to it as well. But, Barry, would you like to do that, or you can continue the rest of the list? Well, if you want to go forward and skip all the great players, let me just mention the great players by name, and then we'll go like you're asking. Uh, Number 14, Charles Johnson. A great catcher for the my for the for the Marlins, former University of Miami player. Let's go you. Number thirteen, Kevin Brown. Number twelve, Cliff Floyd. Number eleven, Giancarlo Stanton. Number ten, Mike Lowell. Number nine, Hanley Ramirez. Number eight, the original owner of the Marlins, H. Wayne Heizinga. Yeah, he he brought baseball to South Florida. Without him, we would not have a team. Number seven, Gary Sheffield. Number six, the great manager, Jack McKeon, one of the great Marlins of all time. And at a later date, I'll go over his record and how he became a Marlin and all his triumphs and his records and everything else. As you requested, number five, Josh Beckett. Beckett was named the Marlins' opening day starting pitcher in 2003 and at 23 years old was the youngest opening day starter in the team's history. Beckett made his postseason debut in the opening game of the 2003 National League Division Series where he allowed only one run in seven innings against the San Francisco Giants. In the National League Championship Game Series, he, uh, he went up against the Cubs. Beckett returned to the mound in Game 5, he allowed only three Cubs to reach base in that game on two singles and a walk in a complete shutout to keep his team alive. The Marlins took game six, also thanks partly to the infamous Steve Bartman incident, and I'm sure you all remember that. In game seven, on two days rest, Beckett came out of the bullpen to pitch four innings, and the Marlins won nine to six to win the National League Championship. Beckett won the 2003 World Series MVP award with two strong performances on three days rest as the Marlins defeated the New York Yankees. And boy, is my son Chris going to hate that because he's a big Yankee fan. In game three, he struck out 10 and allowed only seven and a half, I'm sorry, seven and a third runs. And then in game six at Yankee Stadium, he shut out the Yankees in a complete game, striking out nine batters, clinching the series by making the tag for the final out. In five seasons with the Marlins, Beckett has a 41-34 and 34 record. He struck out 607 batters in 106 games, had a great ERA of 3.46. Going to number four. Barry, Barry may I interrupt here? Um, sure you going may. Back to your, <laughs> going back to your uh, list here, uh, I saw you got John Carlos Stanton at number 11. I tend to disagree with one of those as I do think Stanton is one of the greatest Marlins of all time, I would actually put him at number three on that list. I know there's a lot of Marlins greats out there. And in Beckett, too, I'd leave him right there at five. But Stanton, I feel like you put him a little too low. I think Stanton is one of the best Marlins players of all time. 
definitely changed his team around. He was the face of the franchise for years. But yeah, I would put him at uh, or I would definitely put him at number three. Okay, well, you know, maybe the poll will change. You know, as votes come in, maybe the poll will change. We'll see. Number four, as far as I'm concerned, Mr. Merlin, Jeff Conine, an inaugural member of the Florida Marlins who was, the, uh, was with the franchise for both of its World Series titles. He earned the title of Mr. Merlin for his significant history with the club and his ties to South Florida. Conine was selected by the Marlins in 1992's Major League Baseball expansion draft. Becoming the team's first star, he played five seasons with the Marlins, earning the Most Valuable Player Award in 1995. Major League Baseball All-Star Game, he was a participant, and he earned a World Series title in 1997. Unfortunately, he was a victim of a fire sale uh, after the 1997 season. He was traded to the Royals, where he played 93 games. He was traded back to the Marlins in 2003 for a couple of prospects. He helped the team win its second World Series title, and he remained with the Marlins until 2005. And to end his career in 2008, he signed a one-day contract to, re- contract to re- retire uh, as a member of the Marlins. Number three. Dontrell Willis. Dontrell Willis was nicknamed the D-Train. He was notable for his success during his first few years in the Major League Baseball circuit and for his unconventional pitching style, which included a high leg kick and exaggerated twisting away from the batter. Um, He was great. He started game four of the series, uh, a National League Division series against the Giants, and despite the struggling, he showcases remarkable hitting ability going three for three with a triple and scoring a run during that game, which the Marlins advanced, winning 7-6 to the NL Championship Series. The Marlins then defeated the Yankees in 2003. After the 2003 season, he was named the National League Rookie of the Year. And I believe it's time at this point to go on to another subject. So we're going to hold number one and number two. So go ahead, Nick, take it away. Yeah, yeah, you definitely uh, took up a lot over there, that list. Definitely a great list, Mary. Uh, we all do appreciate it. We think you definitely put a lot of effort in it, and we're very pleased for that. But actually jumping into another subject, you know, knowing free agency coming to a close soon, spring training coming up. I know we were talking a lot about rookies and everything, but we haven't really discussed free agency. The Marlins have been very quiet in free agency. They, we haven't really talked. I mean, the last time we talked about this was with Eli last week about potential fill-ins that we need. Barry, I want to ask you what what free agent out there do you think would fit us the best with catcher, first base, outfield, infield? Where, what position do you think we need the most right now going into the season, and what player do you think would fit the bill? That's hard to answer at this point in time without really seeing what's, what their plan is through, uh, through spring training. I know we need a catcher. I know first base is wide open at this point. Uh, are the Marlins willing to spend some money here? That's the big question. So to answer the question with a question, what are the Marlins going to do? Uh, it depends on how much money they're going to spend. Uh, I don't think they're going to spend for a top-tier free agent at this point. They're going to have to spend a look, look at the bar, bargain basements for some free agents that can help them and guide the uh, younger players uh, along the way until they're in a position where they have a better television contract and more money uh, that they can spend. So at this point, they're in that rebuilding mode, getting the young players ready. There'll be a time come where they'll be able to spend money on free, agents, free agency and do it right. Barry, I got I got the real question for you now. Are the Marlins? Do you believe that the Marlins are the mystery team for Manny Machado? <laughs> Absolutely, positively, one hundred percent, no. They're not going to spend what? the money. They're not going to spend oh. the money on Manny Machado. He's commanding too much money. You know, okay, the Marlins are looking at him. Low payroll. I can't. I can't see it. They got a low payroll right now, Miami. They, they may, they, you know, they may shock you and spend big. 
they're not they're not going to spend more than a hundred million dollars on their on their on their team this year. And that they need a face even if they took out. that one hundred million dollars, Nick, that's not enough to sign to sign him. It's not going to happen. They need a face of the franchise, in my opinion. They possibly could be. The Yankees, I think, are out on them. I believe he's probably going to go to the White Sox or the Phillies. But, no, leave it open. If you see it happen, don't necessarily be shocked. But definitely will come to – that would be huge for the for the team, especially putting him at shortstop. You know, we have Miguel Rojas over there and J.C. Riddle, who I'm fine with us to see how they do in spring training. But, you know, it's up in the air. I know you don't agree with it, but I do. But, but anyway, hey, no Nick, moving I, off you know that. I've always been a JT Real Muto. I'm uh, sorry, J, uh, JT fan at shortstop and uh, Riddle. Uh, you know he came on last year, so don't be surprised if he's the opening day shortstop. Or Rojas, you know, I believe it'll be a hard fought battle in spring spring training for Rojas and Riddle. But we will have to see from that. But you know, following that up, uh, you don't believe Machado will be there? That's all right, fine. But uh, <laughs> no, but you I can't but help it. I, I'm calling it the way I see it. It's like balls and strikes. I call it the way I see it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, speaking about that, I'm going to ask you a different question about the and the National League East this season. You seeing all these players come in? The Mets definitely bringing in a lot of players like Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz, bringing in a lot of players. The Nationals making moves. The you know, all these teams and Phillies are making moves now. What are your thoughts? The NL East is pretty much stacked at this point. Like, Marlins cannot compete, in my opinion. As of right now, not now can they compete, but in the future they will. But as of now, the NL East, how do you see in the future the Marlins competing with the likes of the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, and the Nationals of them building strong teams? The Marlins will be, in my opinion, I think they, they're going to be last in the league this year. But that's not saying that our boys aren't going to be good this year because, you know, this is a stacked division. Barry, do you think the NL lease is better than it's ever been? I think the NL lease is probably the strongest uh, of any divisions in the league. They're, you know, you got the Yankees and the, and the, uh, and the Red Sox in, uh, in the AL East uh, and then everybody else. Here it's just a competition. And remember, you're, you're not playing these guys uh, – you know, three or four games or five games a year, you're playing them 18, 19 games a year. So there is competition in the NL East. And unfortunately, the Marlins are not going to be able to compete this year in the Marlins East. So what I'm looking for as far as the Marlins are concerned is improvement, improvement, and improvement till we get to next year. In uh, 2020, that's when the Marlins are going to have some money. We're going to be going out and getting some players to fill in the blanks. By 2021, if we're not competing by then, I'd be totally, completely, 100% surprised and shocked. This year, let's let's just improve on what we have, make these players major league ready. You know, like in Brinson's case, I know you're a big fan of Brinson. Uh, I thought they brought him up too early, you know, but he, he did come on towards the end of the season. Uh, again, I hope they don't bring players up too early, you know, because you don't want to see regression in the players as well. 2019, it's a rebuilding year. Get the players ready for 2020. Let's get ready for 2021. Let's go to the World Series. That's where I want to be. It's World Series a bust for me. Let me tell you this, though. Let me tell you this. People keep doubting this team. This team has what it takes, and they will be competing in the 2020s. I'm telling you, 2019 can be a big year for us. I think we're going to definitely get some stuff straight. But 20s, 2020s and above, we are going to be competing. These young guys are going to go out there. I know they can do it. I think that we are going to build a very nice young team here. And our centerpiece will be Lewis Brinson. And going on, Lewis Brinson, you mentioned him before. Definitely, you know, you thought they called him up too early. People are saying – Lewis Brinton will come back and have a career year this year, and he will, he will signify that he is the franchise player. My opinion, I know Lewis Brinton can do it. I saw him make the adjustments at the end of the season, reduce the strikeout ratio. He was getting a lot more hits and threw his average up. Do you still believe Lewis Brinton has what it takes to be a legitimate MLB starter at center field? 
as long as he continues in the direction he's going, he will be legitimate. But I disagree with you on one point. I think Mr. Mesa is going to be the the guy, the catalyst, the face of the franchise. Oh, he's coming. Boy, okay. Oh, yeah, we're going to agree to disagree again. I think he's coming, and the fans are going to love what they see. He is the, he's the real deal. There's no doubt in my mind. 2019, come May, you're going to see him here. You're going to see him light a fire under these rookies here. He's going to be the catalyst, just like going back many years ago uh, when they brought up in 19, uh, 1997 uh, Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis. They were the catalyst. Mesa is going to be the catalyst of the Marmons. Mark my words, it's coming. Save the date. Save the date today. Save the date, January 21st. We will be going back to this and seeing my opinion, Lewis Brinson, your opinion, Victor, Victor Mesa. Of course, both of those players, players, of course, I do believe will be franchise players for us. And don't get me wrong, I love Victor, Victor Mesa. I do think he's going to be a great player. But something just tells me that Lewis Brinson will be the main face of the franchise. But we're also forgetting about the wild card in this situation. Victor Mesa Jr. coming in at 16 years old or 17 years old, young boy coming with his brother over to – um, America to play for the Marlins. He's going to be in the farm system. Do you think Victor Mesa Jr. could be getting called up and potentially be on that 2021 team? No doubt in my mind. He's got all the ability in the world, and he's got his brother as his mentor. Uh, look out for the younger Mesa. He's a coming 2021, no later than 2022. He's coming, and he's going to be another exciting piece for the Marlins. And by the way, I never got the finish. Now, I have number two and number one. I'm just going to mention their names, Luis Castillo and Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, great Marlins right. players as well. No, yeah, Miguel Cabrera, I believe, is the best, greatest Marlins of all time. Unfortunately, we couldn't hold on to him due to taking down the team down in 2003. But remember on that team, we had him, we had Dontrell Willis, and unfortunately made the trade. And Unfortunately, we didn't have him anymore. But, yeah, going back to those years, 2003-1997, they would rebuild the team right after that. They tore it down. Loria tore it down. Uh, Barry, I'd ask you a question. Loria, you always didn't really have trust in him. You never really liked him as an owner. Derek Jeter coming in, tears the team down, brings us a promising prospect. In my opinion, Derek Jeter has something that Jeffrey Loria did not have. I feel like Derek Jeter actually has a plan. I think Jeter's plan is to tear down the team, make it very young, make it uh, make it sustainable for the future, control the players. I think he has a vision for the future that's going to make this ball club a winning team in Miami. Do you believe in Derek Jeter? Are you on the Derek Jeter train? At first, when he came on with all the excitement, all the hoopla, I was excited about Jeter. Then he went into his plan. It did not sit well with me in the beginning. But it's catching on now, and uh, things are going to happen with the Marlins. I am now on the Jeter bandwagon. He's going to make things happen. He wants to create history for the Marlins, just like being part of the Yankees. The Yankees have a major history. Guess what? Jeter is going to make history for the Marlins, and it's going to be a long-term history, and uh, we're going to do things that nobody expects thanks to Jeter. All right, guys. But also, make sure you guys I gotta go back. Uh, make sure you guys go back to this. Uh, make sure you guys head over to Stubyard uh, again. Make sure you put the promo code in BPN10. You get 10% off on any event from Stubyard. Make sure you guys definitely go head over to that. But you know, we are gonna have to wrap this up, guys. Uh, a great episode today. We will actually be joined by two baseball players next week. One of them currently on. The Miami Marlins roster is number one of them is reliever Jeff Brigham. He will be coming on the podcast next week. Very excited for trade. So we are very excited to have those two men on there. But without further ado, we're going to have to wrap this up. Uh, Dan Shelley joined on. It was fantastic. Uh, just a great episode overall. And Barry, you can close it out. Guys, we look forward to seeing you next week on the Marlins Catch on Blog Talk Radio. 
the Baseball Podcast Network. We're going to have an exciting show next week, as Nick said, and we don't want you to miss a single minute of it. Be sure to tune in. We want to wish you a great evening. We'll see you next week on the Marlins Catch. Produced by Benson Vector. The Marlins Catch is a production of the Baseball Podcast Network. Be sure to give our host Nick a follow on Instagram at Marlins Double Underscore News and follow the Marlins Catch on Instagram as well at the Marlins Catch. For more of the Marlins Catch content, be sure to head over to their website at themarlinscatch.com and to check out the Baseball Podcast Network on their website, go to baseballpodcastnet.com. Be sure to follow the Baseball Podcast Network on all their social media platforms. Instagram, at Baseball Podcast Net. Twitter, at Baseball Podcast One. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-1. YouTube, at Baseball Podcast Network. And SoundCloud, at Baseball Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to the Marlins Catch. We'll see you next time.